Hello, everyone. Welcome to Industry Focus. This is Gabby LaPera here with John Maxfield on the phone, and Jason Oxman from the Electronic Transactions Association is joining us here in the studio today. We're very, very excited to bring you a special episode. I know we don't normally do a lot of interviews, but I thought that we would shake up the new year. Happy New Year, by the way by having Mr. Oxman on on today. Um, we received an email from your organization um, detailing some of the very exciting advances in electronic transactions. I know that sounded sarcastic, guys, but it wasn't. Um, and just a little bit about the Electronic Transactions Association. It is an industry trade group. Um, we have over 550 members that include everyone from like Apple to Visa to like the up-and-comers like Square. It's very exciting. Um, and yeah, just thank you for coming down to the office today. Well, thanks for having me, Gabby, and Happy New Year to you, and Happy New Year, John. Thank you very much, Jason. Appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think we should just uh, dive in, because we have a lot of questions for you, because you have a very interesting job. Um, the payments industry is in the midst of a transformation. Uh, we have PayPal. It just went public, and it's continuing to grow. You have uh, Square, as I mentioned, and for our listeners who don't know what Square is, it's a, it's a way for people to take a credit card payments uh, via their cell phone using a little little doohickey is the technical term I believe that plugs Dongle, into actually, is, the, is the technical <laughs> that term. doesn't even sound real but I know you're right <laughs> um, that that plugs into the phone and it acts as a magnetic card reader um, but you also have old players like Visa and MasterCard revamping their technology to accept for example the chip cards that have become very that are becoming popular and eventually mandatory right so you're absolutely right, Gabby. That was a lot. You just covered uh, <laughs> 40 years' worth of evolution of the payments industry in your, uh, in your one question. But uh, it is definitely an exciting time in payments. When we look back on 2015, uh, it will certainly be viewed as the most transformative period in the payments industry in the last 40 years. You mentioned that ETA is the trade association of the payments industry, so we have a unique vantage point in representing more than 500 companies that are engaged in payments, both on the the financial institution side and on the technology side. And the payments industry is something that consumers really haven't paid a lot of attention to uh, for the last 40 years because it's so simple, really. We've had plastic cards with magnetic stripes on the back of it. That is literally a 40-year-old technology, same technology used in cassette tapes. That's how old it is. Uh, And that's been the extent of the payments industry for the last four decades. Now, it's enormously popular to use that form of payment. U.S. consumers have 1.2 billion debit and credit cards in their wallets, and there are more than 8 million merchants in the U.S. that you can use those cards at. So it is the preferred method of payment. Our member companies processed about $5 trillion in payments in 2015. So definitely the preferred method of payment. Now, looking ahead as we enter 2016, uh, the transformation that our industry is undergoing is, is truly remarkable. It's a transformation both in the form factor of the way we pay. The plastic cards themselves are changing. As you mentioned, we're migrating to chip technology. That's a migration that we started in 2015. We're continuing it here in 2016 as well. That's an upgrade to the security technology that we use in plastic cards, and we should definitely talk about that because everyone over the course of 2016 is going to have these chip cards in their wallet. Everyone's going to be using them at stores, and not everybody knows how they work or what it is that they do, so we should definitely uh, spend a little time on that. But then we're also seeing an interesting form factor change in payments in that consumers are increasingly using their phones 
as their credit cards. Mm-hmm. So not carrying around those plastic cards at all. And that's something we're going to see continue over the course of 2016. Phones, watches, uh, other wearables to pay with. Uh, 2016 is definitely going to be a very exciting year in, in new payments technology. Do you have yeah. any any insight onto why this is all happening now? <laughs> yeah, I think the technology is uh, ready mm-hmm. for that change in infrastructure. Uh, if If you're talking about mobile payments, for example, why is it happening now? Obviously, we've had cell phones for decades, uh, and we've had credit cards for decades. So why are the two finally coming together now? It's a couple of things. First of all, it's the ubiquity of smartphones. Uh, Most consumers who have a phone in the U.S. have a smartphone, and they are uh, robustly uh, capable of doing a number of things that we never thought we'd ever do on a smartphone. Think about it. You know, it's only now nine years since the introduction of the iPhone. The iPhone came on the market in 2007. Mm -hmm. And think about all the things we do on our mobile devices that we never contemplated before. We all used to buy cameras to take pictures. Nobody does that anymore. They, they use their phone for cameras. Uh, we all carry around our music collection on our phones. Nobody buys plastic discs anymore. Nobody buys standalone GPS units. We all use our phones to navigate with. We use our phones to email and, and communicate with, with one another. Sometimes we even use them to make phone calls. <laughs> the next st- logical step, I think is using your phone to pay. And it's it's definitely a, a change in mindset. People haven't thought of the phone as being a secure way to pay. But in fact, the implementation of mobile payments that Apple and Samsung and Google have all done with their various payment tools uh, is the most secure implementation of a payments device ever. The mere fact that you can lock your phone with a four-digit code, the fact that your transaction is initiated by using your fingerprint, those are all incredibly secure ways of, of initiating a payments transaction. You also have tokenization in a mobile payments transaction, so your actual account number isn't transmitted anywhere. There's nothing to steal. Uh, and you have a dynamic security code, so even if that token were intercepted, it would be only usable that one time. It can't be used ever again. So it's, it's an incredibly secure implementation. But really what we're going to see over the course of 2016 is consumers getting used to the idea as they did with music and digital cameras and GPS, of using their phone for something they never thought they'd use it for. And that's going to be a very exciting development. Yeah, this is really interesting. I think, I think Maxfield, did you have a question? And I, I maybe cut you off. Yeah, no, no, that's fine. So, Jason, one of the things with the payment industry, so you, when you think about payments, it's, it's kind of like electricity, right, or plumbing. It's this it's critical service that is provided to all of us but is largely invisible, I'm a guy who studies banks, but even to somebody with as much knowledge about the financial industry as me, the payments industry is still kind of a mystery. So I wonder if you would talk about, kind of just give us from your vantage point, you kind of see overall, you're looking over the entire industry. Can you talk a little bit about what exactly is the payments industry, that, you know, kind of that, that, that underlying infrastructure, and then also, you know, who are the main players that are currently kind of, uh, you know, over on top of it, and then the, who are these new players that are emerging, and then kind of how do you see that playing, that kind of uh, competition between those two kind of playing out? That's a great question, John. So uh, the payments industry is often described as a four-party model. So uh, if you will uh, close your eyes and imagine a, a diagram with four parties on Not it. while you're driving. 
<laughs> Let's think about it this way. So it's actually neatly divided into two halves. Uh, each half of the model has two parties to it. Uh, on the consumer side, uh, we all carry around credit and debit cards, and we get those cards from what's called an issuer. An issuer is generally a financial institution that issues credit cards, Visa, MasterCard, American Express, Discover. Uh, those are all card networks, and then card issuers issue cards that travel over those networks. So that's one half of the model of the four-party model, the consumer and their issuer. The other half of the model is the merchant, because obviously you need a place to use those cards. You need to shop and, and spend money, and, and those cards are usable at 8 million merchants in the U.S. Each of those merchants has a acquirer, and the acquirer is the financial institution uh, that provides card acceptance capability. So that's the second half of the model, the merchant and the acquirer. So that four-party model, model, the consumer with their issuer and the merchant with their acquirer, is the way the payment system grew up. Now, I promise you this won't be a 45-minute lecture on the, uh, on the payments infrastructure, but the question <laughs> you asked, I think, requires this, uh, this kind of background. Uh, somebody has to tie that all together. So I have my card from my issuer. I'm going to go shop at a merchant who probably has a different bank. So who ties that all together? Who makes sure when I swipe my card that the transaction will be approved, it'll be transmitted across the network, my issuer will, will know to bill me, and then the issuer will pay my merchant? Well, the card networks do that. Visa and MasterCard uh, are the largest in the country. American Express and Discover are also large card networks as well. So that is the payments industry. Other players in the industry include companies called payments processors. Those are the companies that actually process the payment. That is to say that transmit the payment so the issuing bank gets the, uh, the notification and can approve it uh, so that the merchant can get paid. The largest payment processor in the country, uh, Bank of America Merchant Services, First Data, companies that are large publicly traded companies, Global Payments, Vantif, Elevon, uh, that a lot of people haven't heard of. Uh, there are companies that make infrastructure uh, the swipe terminals that you uh, either tap your phone on or swipe your card or dip your card if you're using a chip card in Genico and Verifone. Uh, and then there are, of course, financial institutions uh, that both issue cards and provide acquiring services to, uh, to merchants, uh, Chase, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, and others. Those are really the traditional players in the payments ecosystem. Now, today, of course, in 2016, we have mobile payments as well. So companies like Apple and Samsung and Google with Android Pay are offering payment services. Uh, they're cooperating with large mobile network operators, AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile, uh, that are uh, offering those services over their devices and over their network. Uh, and those are interacting with the traditional payment services, the Visa and MasterCards of the world, the banks of the world, the processors of the world, to make sure that mobile payments can be enabled uh, at the point of sale. So it's a, it's a pretty complicated infrastructure. Um, but the good news is, and, and, and you mentioned this, John, it's, it's entirely invisible to the consumer because it works so well. The card networks process literally thousands of transactions a second. Uh, when you dip your chip card in, uh, it takes a few seconds for the transaction to be complete. But what's happening in that few seconds is your, your card is being validated. Uh, a message is being sent to your issuing bank to make sure you're not over your limit and the card hasn't expired and your card hasn't been reported stolen. And somebody who's using the card isn't someone who's not supposed to be using the card. Uh, and then it all happens in a few seconds and uh, it's largely invisible, but a lot of companies are involved. Um, that brings me to my next question anyway, which is, um, do you think people are going to move to kind of consolidate all these processes into one vendor? I think the example that comes to mind is really um, Walmart's currency. 
um, which for listeners that's spelled current as in current events dash C. It's very clever. Um, they are are trying to cut out Visa and Mastercard, I believe, um, so that they don't have to pay the them their two to four percent fee on that. Um, and they're they're trying to use this like QR code system um, via m- mobile payments. I don't know. Do you think that that might be the way forward? So let's talk about currency. It's a very interesting product. Uh, the company is actually called MCX uh, mm-hmm. that developed uh, currency. MCX is actually a member of ours at ETA. Um, they are a payments uh, system, uh, like many of the others we've described. They have a, a very unique ownership structure, and you alluded to it. They're actually owned by more than 40 of the nation's largest retailers. Walmart is one. Target is another. Uh, a lot of uh, brick-and-mortar retailers. A lot of pharmacies as well. Pharmacies uh, like CVS and, and Rite Aid are participating, gas stations. Uh, they even have an airline as one of their owners. Uh, and they are, as you mentioned, uh, working collaboratively to develop a payments infrastructure that they can use to deploy mobile payments using QR codes uh, to their customers. Now, some MCX owners uh, are also accepting other mobile payment services like Apple Pay and Samsung Pay and Android Pay. Uh, Some of them are waiting for uh, MCX to deploy their uh, network service. Uh, In 2015, MCX uh, launched a pilot in Ohio. Uh, In 2016, they're going to be expanding to a number of other markets. And I think one thing that's most interesting is some of the MCX owners are also, uh, and we've seen this in recent weeks in the headlines, deploying their own mobile wallet services in conjunction with, uh, for example, Walmart's in-app service so that you can use Walmart's service uh, and pay in the store using your mobile device in the Walmart app. Uh, So a lot of companies are doing a lot of different experimentation with different technologies, uh, some will work, some won't. Uh, but I think what MCX is doing is very interesting, and certainly their owners are very engaged in it. Yeah. So this is this is a space that investors are definitely going to want to watch because there's clearly a lot of innovation going on. And just like with any other industry, when there's this much innovation, some, some are going to fail, some are going to explode. So you just need to kind of keep your eye on that. So Jason, when you think about, I'm going to slightly go off script here, but when you look back at, say, the beginning of the credit card, right? So you have the Bank of America card was kind of that first thing. And then it kind of switched into Visa, which was a consortium of these financial companies. So what's interesting right now is that the, the innovations, a lot of the innovations in that are gaining notoriety in the payment space are really your non-traditional financial players, not even non-traditional financial players. I mean, non-financial players, right? I mean, you have your Apples, your Samsungs. So the question that... I wonder is, when you look at these organizations that provide the actual underlying financial infrastructure and the might, i.e. the funding, why is it that today it seems like those guys are somewhat seeding the innovations to non-financial players? Why isn't it that you know, when like when Visa was originally created and all those financial companies got together and kind of and, and, and worked on it themselves and kind of, you know, all owned it together. Why is it different this time around? Well, that's a great question, John. I, I love your hearkening uh, back to the history of the creation of the Visa network with Bank AmeriCard, which was started uh, in the late 1950s by Bank of America and a number of other banks. Uh, eventually became, uh, as you noted, the the Visa network. And it it was really until the mid-2000s that the banks actually owned uh, Visa and MasterCard. They spun both of them off into separate publicly traded companies, so they're no longer bank-owned. But what's interesting about it, and, and you mentioned this, 
is that it was a consortium of competitors that put those networks together. So these were issuing banks that competed fiercely against each other in the marketplace for uh, the attention of and the business of consumers. And then they collaborated together to build a network that allowed interoperability among all of their separate issued cards. Uh, the network effects of a network like the Bank of America card network, later Visa, uh, were obvious. Uh, you know, Consumers could use them anywhere that they wanted to. Uh, and that was very important to the success of those cards. So fast forward today, and, and, and as Gabby mentioned, MCX uh, is owned by a network of fierce competitors, in this case, retail competitors, who are collaborating together to build an interoperable network. I think what's interesting about today's scenario, and again, you alluded to this, that a number of the innovators in payments are not traditional financial institutions. Apple being the best example of that. Apple launched Apple Pay to much fanfare uh, in late 2014, and Apple obviously is not a bank. But what they did is they partnered with the ecosystem. And that's what I think is, is really the great story that the payments industry has to tell. And one of the reasons that 2016 is going to be such an exciting year in our industry, unlike most other, and I, I do mean most other, uh, incumbent industries, our industry's reaction to this kind of disruptive innovation that tech companies, retailers, non-financial institutions are bringing to the payments market is, is a positive reaction. They're looking to partner with them. In some cases, they're partnering with each other to, to get those out in the market. If you look at any other incumbent industry, whether it's what the record industry did uh, when Grokster and Napster first came on the scene, you know, they went all the way to the Supreme Court to try to stop them. It's what the movie studios did when the VCR first came out, again, sued to try to block that because they couldn't figure out how to, how to compete against it. You know, it's what the, uh, the, bu- the, you know, the horse and buggy industry, the buggy whip industry did when the car came out. Every incumbent industry reacts negatively to uh, this kind of innovation. But I think a lot of the reason you're seeing the kind of partnerships, consortiums, and coopetition uh, across the payments industry is everyone is willing to embrace uh, new ways of initiating payments transactions because it is good for the whole ecosystem. Yeah, yeah, that makes that makes a ton of sense. I'd always kind of been wondering if it was that if there were like if, kind of in the background there were the antitrust concerns with the competitors or what it is. So that that was great insight. And then, Jason, as you look forward, so I mean, you're like in a pretty interesting place right now, right? I mean, like if you're looking at all the industries that are going through pretty transformative changes, the payments landscape is definitely one of those places where a lot is happening right now. And in the midst of all of this noise, so I know this is going to be somewhat of an unfair question because you're, you're, there's so many different moving parts right now, but when you look out in 10 years, right, are we talking, trans, are, are we talking the payments landscape doesn't look anything like it did before, or are we talking that, that these are just kind of variations on a theme that is already in existence? Yeah, I, th- I think w- there are a couple things to think about. One of the things that's most important about a payment system or a payments network is security and reliability. So there's a reason that if you look at Visa, for example, there's a reason that Visa invests hundreds of millions of dollars and, and even in some cases billions of dollars uh, a year in the network, in building it, in maintaining it, in fighting fraud in uh, securing it against uh, outside and inside uh, uh, breaches. Those kind of networks are absolutely crucial to the reliability, uh, the security, and the utility of the system. So if I'm thinking 10 years from now, uh, will there still be payments networks that are interoperable, that are interconnected? Uh, Absolutely there will be because that's where the utility comes from. 
when we look at mobile payments, for example, the success story in mobile payments before uh, 2015, uh, when Apple Pay and Samsung Pay and Google and Google's Android Pay came on the market, was Starbucks. Starbucks was the number one most popular mobile payments platform uh, in the U.S. Why is that? Because you could use it at every Starbucks, uh, and it was easy, and it was robust, and it was safe and reliable, and it was rewarding because they tracked your reward points. That's the kind of thing that consumers need to see and want to see uh, when they decide what kind of payments instrument to use. Now, the downside of the Starbucks app is you can't use it anywhere other than Starbucks. So if that were the only thing we had out there, we'd all be uh, heavily caffeinated, uh, but we wouldn't have much else going on in our lives. More heavily caffeinated, more, Jason. <laughs> more heavily ca- if that's possible. Uh, so when I think about the future of payments systems, that network security uh, will always be paramount because from the consumer's perspective and, and frankly, from regulators' perspective as well, uh, having that protection of a robust network is incredibly important. Now, what will change between now and 10 years from now is the form factor. The means of initiating a transaction will continue to evolve. And that's the big transformation we're seeing in the industry right now with the migration from the ubiquitous plastic card to the phone, to the watch, uh, to whatever is next as far as technology. And maybe 10 years from now, we'll all have chips in our wrists that we'll just tap on uh, on a payment terminal. Uh, but the network will still need to be the core of everything that we do. And then just one last question for me, and then I'll, I'll kind of hand off to Gabby. I have a tendency to monopolize. Is <laughs> so, you're, so now let's talk about your, your average person just sitting there at home listening to this podcast, listening to these huge changes that are that are going on in the payments industry what should what should the average person should be thinking should they be excited are things going to get cheaper easier more convenient what what are the things that the average consumer should be really grasping onto well what the average consumer cares about as a consumer as opposed to as an investor uh, is making sure that their payments are secure and reliable and uh, that is something that I think is uh, more in focus in 2016 than it ever has been in our industry. And the reason for that is cyber criminals are increasingly active, they're, uh, they're engaged, they're sophisticated, they're dogged in their efforts, and we are making significant upgrades to the payments infrastructure in 2016 to address that. As a corollary to that, I think consumers need to recognize that using their mobile devices to pay uh, is the most secure implementation of payments implementation, uh, payments initiation, I should say, uh, that we've ever seen. You know, the Federal Reserve surveys consumers every year about mobile payments and asks those who are not using them why they aren't using them. The number one answer they get back in the survey every year, including last year's survey in 2015, is, I think my phone is less secure than my plastic card. And that's simply not true, uh, but it also shows that consumers are very interested in and concerned about security. So I think that's something that the average consumer uh, should be paying a lot of attention to, how these upgrades in security are making uh, electronic payments the most secure way to pay. And then the second thing I'd note is that consumers want to be rewarded. They want to be engaged. Um, Payments for the consumer is a commodity. Uh, It's not something that they think about. They don't go to the store and say, I want to pay today. They want to actually buy something, they want to engage with their favorite merchant. Similarly, the merchant isn't interested in just having somebody pay them. They're interested in developing a relationship and having the customer come back. And I think we're seeing a lot more capabilities come together with the payments 
that weren't available in the plastic card world. You know, your plastic card doesn't know anything about you, doesn't know who you are, doesn't know where you are, doesn't know what you like, but your phone knows all of those things. So that creates a lot of opportunities uh, for consumers to engage more robustly with their favorite merchants and for merchants to share more things with their customers like location-based offers and digital couponing and and things that uh, make the payment piece more rewarding than it's ever been. That was a very complete answer. Thank you. Um, I, I'm, of course, interested in biometrics um, slightly from a from a selfish perspective because I was part of the OPM hack. I don't know if you heard about this. The Office of Personal Management got hacked a few months ago. I got my letter, too. Uh, yeah, my fingerprints got stolen, um, which was not a great feeling because I was like, oh, my Social Security number, I kind of understand. But, like, my fingerprints, like, that feels so personal. Um, so I think I think that what you're saying about security and especially since a lot of these credit cards they're starting to hint at using biometrics it'll it'll be a very interesting ride going forward um so what in your opinion this is a big question what do you think is the key to winning the payments game from the perspective of a payments (laughs) company the key to winning is is uh you know two things uh one it's security it's preventing fraud it's protecting the consumer against any harm it's uh, it's making sure the transactions are securely routed, uh, authorized, and finalized. And that security piece is, is paramount uh, because we're talking about people's money. And that's incredibly important. And that's what the payments industry does best. The reason that consumers choose electronic payments at the point of sale is because they have 100% protection against any liability for fraud. If somebody steals $20 out of my pocket, it's gone. I'm never going to see it again, and I've lost $20. If I see a $20 fraudulent charge on my credit card statement, I have no liability for that. Uh, So that, I think, is the number one most important thing for whatever payments implementation we're talking about, protecting the consumer, securing the transaction. And the second thing, and I alluded to this uh, in my answer to to John's last question, uh, is interacting with the consumer and the merchant in a way that makes the payment rewarding. And again, payments historically in the plastic card mag stripe world has been a commodity transaction. You do it at the end when you're leaving the store, you swipe your card, you're done. Now we have the opportunity with mobile payments and with uh, you know more robust access to, to data uh, to make that transaction more interactive and more rewarding. Look, consumers are not going to switch from plastic cards to mobile payments because using plastic cards is hard. It's not hard. And carrying a wallet around is not that much of a pain in comparison to carrying your phone around. So the value proposition for success in payments technology is not you can stop finally carrying your plastic card around because it's easy to do so and it's not enough of a reason to switch. But if you can add more value to the transaction and make life more rewarding for the consumer by, let's go back to Starbucks, making it easy to track your stars so you get your 10th drink free – that was the Starbucks value proposition, and they're now processing, as we enter 2016, uh, more than a quarter of all their transactions on their mobile app. So it's basically a combination between a payment system and a loyalty rewards program. I think that's exactly right. All in one, that's which is exact- exciting. It is exciting. And, and again, from the consumer's perspective, it's great. Uh, and from the merchant's perspective, it's wonderful because payment itself is part of what the merchant wants. Obviously, they want to get paid for their goods or services. But if you have the opportunity to engage more deeply with your customer, then it becomes a more rewarding product. Absolutely. Let me ask. Let me ask one last question. <laughs> uh huh. 
Jason, when you look at, so is, is Starbucks really the example? When you're looking at a company, cause there's a lot of this conversation about you know, connecting your payment system with these kind of localized offerings. When you guys are thinking about and talking about and looking at the payments industry, is Starbucks, is, is it the example that has really proved that this can work and that this, is a, that this can be a successful strategy? It, it is a great example. And the reason it's a great example, John, is because it works for both sides of the equation. It works great for the merchant. Starbucks has more engaged customers who love using the app, who want to get their stars for loyalty. And it's a lot easier for Starbucks to manage the financial transactions through their app than it is for you handing, handing a couple of crinkly dollar bills to them uh, at the cash register. So it works great from the merchant side. And from the consumer side, it works great too, which is why everybody's using it, because it's easy to use, it's easy to load, it's seamless, you've got your phone on you. And now that Starbucks is implementing uh, throughout 2016, uh, order ahead capability into the app. You can even have a coffee waiting for you and pay for it automatically in the app and not even have to talk to anybody uh, at the store. So it is a great example because it shows how implementation, in this case, in a closed-loop environment, again, you can't use your Starbucks card anywhere other than at Starbucks uh, to buy Starbucks, uh, it can work very well. Now, obviously, it's a lot more challenging to implement a system that can be used at 8 million merchants as opposed to just one, uh, but I think Starbucks does show the model of how you can make it rewarding for both the merchant and the consumer. And I'm sure the federal government is also excited. You mentioned the crinkly dollar bills. I, I have worked in the service industry, and I, I remember how it is with dollar bills just floating around. I'm sure the federal government is very excited to have a way to track everything. As a result, auditing will be much easier in the future. Um, <laughs> anyway, do you think there's a, there is a big opportunity for investors here? Well, without providing any specific uh, investing advice, yes. uh, I think the opportunity uh, for anyone who pays attention to this sector uh, is in all of the uh, new technologies out there that are making transactions more secure, more rewarding for consumers. Uh, there are a lot of companies uh, that participate in ETA uh, that are uh, technology companies. Uh, and there are a lot of companies that are financial institutions, and we talked about the card networks and equipment manufacturers. The definition of a payments company is a lot broader than it was just a few years ago. Uh, again, when we were in the plastic card world, it was a lot easier to define who a payments company uh, was. If you look at the angel list of, uh, of startups uh, out in California right now in Silicon Valley, there are 2,000 companies that identify themselves as payments startups, uh, and that's up from none uh, just a decade ago. <laughs> Uh, so that's a very interesting space to watch. Uh, but again, uh, without getting into any uh, specific companies, I do think this is a very interesting time in our space. Uh, and, and particularly as the, the U.S. economy continues to recover in 2016, consumers are out shopping more, merchants have more products and services on offer. We're moving into an online world. Uh, and I think it's a great time and very interesting time in our industry. Yeah, and it's really exciting for financial news. I know that sometimes this podcast, especially in comparison to healthcare and the tech and consumer goods podcast, is not maybe as exciting. Banks tend to be a little stodgier, which we kind of like them that way. But tech is really changing the name of the game, and it's it's an exciting it's an exciting time to be alive, and it's a very exciting time to invest as well. Um, I think that's about it. Thank you very much for joining us, Mr. Oxman, and thanks for joining us on the phone, Maxfield. Um, as usual, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. 
Thanks for joining us. I hope you liked this week's episode. I certainly liked it. Write to us at industryfocus at fool.com if you have any questions or want to tell us about how you are paying for your Starbucks coffee. Thank you and have a great week. Thank you.